This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Kim Locke, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, Kim is an Australian author of four novels, Peace, Love and Khaki Socks, Like I Can Love and The Three of Us. Her latest novel, The Other Side of Beautiful, is about one woman's journey to face her anxiety and embrace life as she embarks on a road trip from Adelaide to Darwin. Kim also writes essays and opinion pieces about feminism and motherhood, which have been widely published. It's a really beautiful book. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. <laughs> yeah, beautiful cover too, actually. Isn't it gorgeous? It's stunning. When it came through, I nearly fell off my chair in happiness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what it's about. Okay. So The Other Side of Beautiful is about a woman named Mercy Blaine. Uh, when we first meet her in the opening scene, she's standing on the street as her house is burning down in the middle of the night on the eve of her 36th birthday. Um, but we soon discover that that's not her biggest problem. Her biggest problem is that she hasn't actually left that house for two years now. So it's quite a challenge for her to find herself suddenly out in the world. She uh, sort of ends up through a series of events buying a very old and very tiny camper van and goes on this kind of unwilling, unwitting road trip from Adelaide to Darwin. Along the way, she meets a cast of colourful characters and gets herself into some fairly absurd scrapes. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a story of her journey, both literally and, and sort of figuratively on the inside as she searches for a way to find some semblance of home. <laughs> it's a really beautiful story. It's very poignant. I liked um, the empathy that you had for Mercy. You know, she's kind of crazy, but I really like her. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that you should say that. I think I poured more of myself into her than I intended to. Um, perhaps I've done that with all of my protagonists. Maybe, you know, you find some little dark, quiet piece of yourself that you end up putting in there. I found it was a way for me to go through a lot of some of my own what ifs, some of my own uh, real fears and and things that anxiety have said to me. I sort of thought, let's put let's put somebody fictional through this and, and see see how she can cope. So I think it was a way for, uh, for me to deal with some of my biggest fears as well. So perhaps, perhaps if that empath- empathy does come through, it's because I'm afraid for her, <laughs> you know, as well. I want to go back to your anxiety, but before I do that, um, and I've, I don't think I've ever asked an author this question. Now, I've been speaking to authors for many years now. You have. <laughs> I have. Um, do you kind of like some books better than others, characters better than others? Do some characters speak to you more or you say, oh, I love Mercy. I love Mercy more than I like so-and-so. Oh, what a fantastic question. Oh, it's like asking if you have a favourite child, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yes, I think so. 
Potentially I like Mercy more than I've liked any of my previous characters just because she's still fresh to me, maybe. Mm-hmm. Usually by this point in time, by the time a novel has has actually hit the shelves and come out, the book is behind me and I'm well into it, if not a first draft or a second draft of a new manuscript. This time around, I'm only a few thousand words into a new manuscript. I'm very much only getting started. And in the back of my mind, I feel it's because Mercy hasn't really left me yet. She hasn't kind of fully let me go. So potentially she is a character I've connected with the most. I certainly found her voice the most natural. I mean, the the novel came out very quickly for me. It took me about 10 weeks to write a first draft, which is very, very much shorter than all my previous novels. They all took sort of 12 months. So in a way she was easier, but in a way she was harder. I, I actually really resisted her voice and I really resisted what she was going through, perhaps because she did feel so close to me, maybe. I mean, I guess, you know, in all fiction, there's truth. Did you feel that she was most like you than any other character? Oh, yeah. Interesting. She certainly isn't me, but we, I think our fears are very similar. So perhaps in that way, I had a lot of compassion for her in that regard, in that I basically put her through something that I'd be terrified going through. So perhaps in that way, she she became um, the closest to me in, in, in those responses. Do you want to talk to me about your own anxiety? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up and even in my early adulthood, anxiety wasn't a word that was really in my lexicon. You know, it's not something anybody that I knew of in my family experiences. And then when my first novel was published in 2013 was when I, I had my first few panic attacks. Of course, I didn't know that they were panic attacks at the time. I just sort of everything. How got did very- they transpire? Um, they started attaching themselves to when I was doing book events. So the very first one came when I was about to meet with my publisher and discuss some edits uh, for the first time before the book came out. I was meeting her in a cafe. I wasn't doing anything that in the past I would have considered scary. You know, I I have in the past done a lot of public speaking, flying, traveling, and it's never bothered me. But for some reason, when it came to publishing my novels, perhaps subconsciously that felt like a very big step. So I was about to meet with my publisher in a cafe and I just started to feel very uh, wrong. I couldn't put my finger on what what was going on, but it almost felt um, almost like an out-of-body experience perhaps. It was sort of a physical fear and I learned afterwards it was a panic attack. And then it started attaching itself to events that in the past I perhaps would have felt nervous, excited butterflies about events, travel, it started to what what felt like fear felt very similar to excitement, which is quite common for people with anxiety. Excitement and fear do sort of feel very similar in the body. And then about five years ago, um, in 2016, when my second novel was published, um, I sort of personal things had happened and I reached a point in my life where anxiety became very acute and it's something that I would describe as a nervous breakdown. I'm told it's uh, it's not a term we really use anymore. But for me, it's a term I like to use because it it well described what happened to me. It gave me, it, it sort of felt like there'd always been something around me that kept me feeling safe in the world within reason. And that was suddenly gone. The world felt hostile. Everything felt, felt very frightening, even though there were no physical threats to me. You know, going to the supermarket, meeting a friend for coffee, going to a hairdresser's appointment, all of these things that are are, are not in any way threatening my body would just perceive it as as a, as a threat. So I was always sort of in a in a fear response state. So it actually became very hard for me to leave the house for um, a year, maybe almost two years. Perhaps that's where the two-year figure came from. 
Um, and with time and with compassion for myself. Did and, you seek help straight away? Yeah, I did. I did yeah. this, you know, sort of the thing that they always say, go see a GP, mm-hmm. you know, go see a, a therapist. I tried everything. Cheryl, you name it. I think I said to somebody, if somebody told me to stand on my head for 10 minutes a day, I'm going to try it. Like I tried everything, all forms of of things. But I think what worked for me the most was just um, time and patience and getting very clear with how I felt about things. Actually, I'd been running away from my emotions for a really long time. So it was a matter of stopping and, and facing some some sort of emotions in myself and realizing that they are just their feelings they're not going to hurt me but no I'm not a therapist I'm, <laughs> just qualify that and I've never, I'm a good listener of um, course but, but I'm not a therapist but do you think this I've just thought of this now mm-hmm. speaking with you I have always had the highest regard for writers and I've also had a certain amount of empathy because I've I've met a lot of writers and they, to me, have a really difficult job because even when you're writing fiction, it's heart and soul, you know, it really is heart and soul, your inner thoughts, you know, they, they come out in characters whether you like it or not, you know, you spend a year or maybe 10 weeks or however long it is, you know, with yourself and with these characters writing a book. Now, there's that. Then there's, well, people are going to read it. People mm. you know are going to read it. You know, <laughs> people you don't know are going to read it. <laughs> people you don't know are going to read it. That's we hope. I, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but there is both, right? And then they're all going to have an opinion, right? Mm, and absolutely. then then the way the world is at the moment, you're required to go out there and sell it. So all mm. of a sudden you're doing a job that you probably are not even made to do, just, you know, do interviews, do media, do this, do that. I think in a way it is kind of like the perfect storm, if you like, to get an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. It, it really is a difficult a difficult job because I know the perception sometimes with writing, oh, it's so lovely, you just sit in a room and write all day. Well, that's, <laughs> oh, yeah. if only. <laughs> exactly. So do you think there's any truth in that? Oh, I think you're spot on. I think you've, you've, you're absolutely right. Um, writing is so solitary. And as writers, we have to tap into how we feel. We are, I mean, not to generalise, but as a, as a generalisation, writers are a pretty sensitive bunch. You know, we're observant. We observe people. We observe feelings. Um, and we have to tap into that to put it on the page. To make readers connect with a character, you have to give that character authentic feelings and challenges. And so we, yeah, you you really do have to p- kind of put it all out there. And you're right. Plenty of writers are really good at publicity. I really admire those writers, you know, that are gregarious and outgoing. Plenty of writers aren't. And we do live in a world that's very opinionated, very, very opinionated. And that that can be hard because as much as we're counselled as writers, by the time the book comes out, it's not your job anymore. It's, it's, it's up to readers. I think it's natural. You want people to enjoy it. You want people to at least like it because... As a reader myself, and I consider myself a reader before I'm a writer, to read a book that you love is such a gift. It's such a gift from that writer to you. And it's something you want to give back to the reading community. So you really are in a, in a state of very much your guard is, is down and you have to let the world in to some degree. Obviously, you can put your safeguards up. 
but yeah, I, I think you're right. It certainly is a, a time where your uh, vulnerability is perhaps a bit higher. And that's why it doesn't surprise me in a way your story, Kim, that, you know, it was the trigger for your anxiety mm. because it is really, really, I feel as though writing is deeply personal. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Take me back to growing up and where the love of reading came. Oh, gosh. I was one of those kids that I actually can't remember a time when I wasn't reading. Um, I always had a book in my hand. I was the one who would climb trees and read books in trees. I was always writing something, um, but it was very much something I kept to myself. I didn't know any writers growing up. Um, so writing was something that other people did, you know, artists did. Uh, in high school, I briefly dabbled with the idea of maybe becoming a journalist. <laughs> uh, to- That's quite common. Yeah, yeah. I sort of thought that's what I could do as a writer. That's a real job. I didn't end up as a journalist. I sort of fell into graphic design out of high school. I got a job and that was something that I loved. And I think that met my sort of creative need because in my 20s, I sort of stopped writing. And when I say stopped writing, the writing that I'd always done had just been private, you know, something I did for myself, short stories and shared with my family and that kind of thing. Uh, Then when I turned 30, I had my second child and my husband had some long service leave. And I thought, I'm just going to give this thing a go. And that's where my my debut novel came from. But um, yeah, yeah, to, to answer your question about as a reader, that is something I did grow up surrounded by. My parents are readers. My siblings are all readers. I come from a, a family of readers. I grew up in a house full of books. You know, um, if my dad had a a day off, he'd just be sitting there reading. You couldn't you couldn't break him away from his his novel. <laughs> you know, my parents always had, always had stacks of books on the bedside cupboards, and we were always given books as gifts. And and so yeah, we I come from a family where um, a love of stories, storytelling, um, and books is 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 in my blood. So I want to go back to your first book. So you're a mum, yes, working. I work for myself, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you decide to take on the Mammoth Project of writing a book. Yeah, sure. <laughs> did, you, did any training for Like where did it come from? Yeah, no, I, I don't have any tertiary training in writing as such oh. um, other than just been reading forever. When my youngest was a 
sort of baby slash toddler. I was involved with the Australian Breastfeeding Association. I was a volunteer counsellor with them for a while and I actually just sort of fell into writing articles for their magazine. They were looking for somebody to write articles and I wrote one and it was apparently well received and the editor came back to me and said, do you have any more? So I, I sort of, I think I dabbled back back on the keyboard in that way. And then after my son was born, I started a blog Um, like a motherhood blog, which uh, was a way for me to just kind of deal with my emotional journey and and my motherhood journey. And um, it was actually quite, quite popular, which it wasn't something I was expecting. I just sort of expected my friends would read it. But a few months after I'd started a post that I wrote went um, viral, which was an interesting and terrifying (laughs) and strange experience to wake up in the morning to these tens of thousands of comments and notifications. So, Uh but what that taught me was writing the blog actually really taught me to hone my craft, which was something I didn't realize until I was doing it. It it taught me to say something in 900 words instead of 2000 words. And it also taught me that people did actually want to read what I had to say. So that sort of planted a seed, I think. And from there on, I started to tentatively call myself a writer. It wasn't something that I felt I was allowed to do, but I started to call myself a writer. And then I joined the SA Writers Centre and started attending workshops um, and started doing online courses and and, um, had, when I'd finished the draft of the novel, I had it assessed, professionally assessed and got some editorial feedback. And I was expecting they'd say, okay, pat, 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 off you go. Mm. This isn't for you. But they actually said, you should, you should seek publication. And I thought, really? Mm. (laughs) Really? And then it was, you know, rejected by every major publisher in Australia, (laughs) (laughs) but it was picked up by a local small press. And so that was in the door for me. Um, And working with the editor there was almost, um, you know, it was a 12 month one-on-one process with a professional editor and publisher. And so that taught me so much. So such a gift. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm always really, really grateful for that. How much I I learned just working through that, that manuscript. It's um, it taught me so much. And so I'm obviously, I'm doing a lot of ongoing training. I'm always signing up for online courses and workshops and things. And as a writer, Learning to read as a writer rather than as a reader has been a great skill for me. I read a book and I love it. So I was like, why do I love it? What it, you know, what's the other done here that's made it so engaging for me? And and so that's been been really good too. And so um, do you want to mention who your publisher was? Yeah, my first, the publisher of my debut novel was Midnight Sun Publishing. Oh, fantastic. I yeah, know. yeah, yeah, Anna Solding. Um, yeah. I worked with her and since then I've worked as her cover designer for the past, what are we? Eight years. Oh, there uh, you go. Yeah. Did you design your own book cover? I did, yeah. So she oh. didn't know I was a designer at the time. And when we met, when we did eventually meet after I had my panic attack, <laughs> I just mentioned that I was a graphic designer and she sort of went, would you like to design the cover? And I thought, would I like to? <laughs> so, yeah, and then, and then I sort of fell into um, doing her covers. I've been doing them for about eight years now, although I'm actually just decided to um, retire from design now and focus on my writing instead. So yeah. that was a big a big step for me because I've been doing design for 21 years, 22 years. Yeah, wow, that is a big yeah. step. So then because now you're published by HarperCollins, by mm-hmm. HQ. Yep. Um and how did you transition from, from that to this? Like why yeah. did you change? So when I wrote my second novel, I actually entered it in the Queensland Writers' Centre, Australia 
manuscript development program. There's some helpful. some great programs oh, out there. Yes, they? yeah, and that was a huge boost. Obviously, yeah. so I attended that program in 2013, um, which sort of put me on the map, I suppose, with a with a trade publishing house, and I also um, signed up with an agent with that novel which was another huge boost, obviously, and I'm, I'm still with her now. Oh, um, you can yeah. give her a plug if you like. Yeah, that's Pepper at Curtis Brown. Yeah, she's wonderful. <laughs> she is. She is. There's, a, there's quite a few of us that she has on her books and yeah. Um, yeah, she does a wonderful job. And she's been incredibly supportive and encouraging and I think that having her backing has given me um, the confidence to just keep going because it, it can be hard you can write well and you can write a great novel and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to get out there. It's, it's such a very crowded industry. There are, are a lot of writers, but it's an amazing writing community we have in Australia. It's because it's a small community, it's incredibly supportive. So, yeah, my second novel was part of a two-book deal um, with a trade house. And then, yeah, this Were is Were you my- thrilled? Yeah. (laughs) So I approached the agency because I actually had two publishers interested in my second novel, two trade publishers interested, which was the doing of Queensland Writers' Centre. They actually sort of put me in touch with another publisher as well and I found myself in this position where I thought this is is more than I know what to do with. So I approached an agency and she sort of picked it up within about three hours and took off my hands and she's sort of off she went and she just did it did a magic and a couple of weeks later I had a two book contract and it felt entirely different to what it did 12 months ago how did signing yeah. a two book deal affect your anxiety levels was that oh, hard or you'd work yeah well see um that came before the anxiety became acute for me oh right okay. yeah, yeah yeah sorry that if the time frame's a bit confusing yeah, that's all um right. so the the two book contract was like a dream come true I just sort of mm. thought this is fantastic that's it I I never have to you know <laughs> no more slush pile for me but of course it's not quite how it works no, no. <laughs> By the time my third novel was published, which was the second book in the two-book contract, um, anxiety was was acute for me. When it came out, yeah, that novel came out in 2018, I wasn't actually able to do any in-person publicity and I found it very hard, which I'm, I'm, I should clarify, I'm not doing in-person publicity now, although nobody is really. We're all in lockdown. No, so. <laughs> but it was even difficult for me to do things like say this podcast would have would have right. been difficult. But writing my third novel, which is a very uh, warm-hearted, sweet novel full of love, I wrote that when I was um, sort of in the midst of my acute anxiety in sort of 2016, 2017, and I was finding it very difficult to leave the house. I sort of injected everything I wanted into that novel. So whereas the other side of Beautiful, my new novel, I've put my character through all the things I was terrified of. In my third novel, I wanted to comfort myself. So I sort of, I put all of that in there. So in a way, I think the two book contract for my second and third novel did sort of get me through. It gave me something that I had to do. I had deadlines. I had contractual obligations that I had to meet. And so it just kept me going. Mm-hmm. So rather than being difficult, it was actually a kind of lifeline, mm-hmm. I think. It's interesting uh, with anxiety. Do you think where we're at now, how do you think that affects anxious people? Gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't say for um, people with anxiety. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to say. But actually, I think for me personally, 
when the pandemic started early last year, I didn't actually feel afraid. I saw a lot of people were, and then a lot of people who hadn't normally been anxious were feeling afraid. It's almost like I went, I've been here. I've got this with fear. I'm a pro. I'm a pro at fear. We can do this. This is fine. So I think the times that we're living in has perhaps brought anxiety up for people who maybe haven't felt it before. For those who are fear, who who it's something that's part of their life, I have a lot of compassion for. I, I feel it would make it harder. Mm. Perhaps one of the biggest things I can say is try not to look at the news too much. Mm. <laughs> I think we can glean what's happening just from looking at the headlines once a day. You know, it can be too easy to fall into that spiral, a sort of a spiral of sensation and What's on the screen is not necessarily our own private reality too, and that's something that I've had to keep reminding myself. Actually, it's easy to look online and think, oh, it's so terrible, when actually I'm just sort of sitting here in my bedroom and, you know, my garden's out there and the sun's shining or it's pouring with rain or or whatever. What's happening on screen isn't my actual present moment reality. So that's been a really good thing for me to try and remember. Just check in with where you are, where you actually are. That can help a lot. Yeah, I mean, I don't suffer anxiety at all, but I've got to say, you know, and, I, and I'm a big voracious consumer of news. Like I, <laughs> I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is read all the news. I read the New York Times, you know, I read yeah. and, and international news. But sometimes I have to put all of that aside and mm. I have to try and remember that that doesn't, as much as I, I want to be a contributor and a participant, mm. I have to remind myself that got a good life and it doesn't mm. affect my day-to-day life. And, mm. You know, I mean, I can do that. I can do that quite successfully, but I think for a lot of people that would be hard. Mm. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. We feel um, obligated to know what's going on in the world because mm. then we feel like we, um, not just that we're informed, but that we're doing our civic duty. You know, we're keeping ourselves informed with what's going on in the world and we always know. And if you have a good shield, you can keep that separation. But I think what anxiety does is sometimes perforate that shield and it starts to blur the lines between your own reality and and the headlines reality. So it can it can be a bit tricky that way. Mm, it really mm. can. Kim, thank you so much. Um, so insightful and just wonderful to chat with you. Thank, thank you, you, Cheryl. <laughs> so I'll let you go. Go. Thank you very much for having me. It's been wonderful. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. It was my pleasure entirely. And congratulations again on the other side of beautiful. Thank you so much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere.
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.